So, so just generally, what, what do you do? So I, um, so depending on, on who I'm talking to, I various describe myself as a cooperative business advisor, uh, a cooperative activist. Um, that probably sort of covers the spectrum. Um, what that actually looks like is um, quite a lot of conversations uh, via phone and Zoom uh, with people who've got ideas for setting up cooperatives um, and are looking for help around that. Um, so the, the advice often you know, takes the form of, right, here's some other people doing something similar. You might want to go and chat to them first. Here's, here's a bit of research you need to do. Um, sometimes even here's why your, your idea won't work, um, but here's, here's a way that it might work. And uh, sometimes um, we're able to sort of feed them into a, some sort of support program of which there are, there are various ones running. And you know, depending on what sector you're in or what part of the country you're in, uh, there's different options available that could actually then sort of pay for my time to um to work with them in, with a little bit more um you know a bit more time and actually go and see them face to face so i work all over the country in terms of the face to face stuff probably only get paid like one day a week but work full time ah, right, okay. the rest of the time so the rest of the time i'm working pro bono but when we do get those bits of paid work then they sort of subsidize the rest of it really right um any size co-ops uh yeah yeah any size we we tend to focus on um co-ops that are working um for sustainability um we we have particular expertise around community finance and there are there are things that we won't work with we we do a little bit work with non-co-ops sometimes you know uh, a little bit for charities although we uh, another social enterprise although we um, we tend to avoid them and concentrate on co-ops um, and we won't work with uh, any co-op that uh, exploits animals exploits animals. animals yeah okay um does that include uh, cooperative farms that keep animals uh, we do we do work with cooperative farms but we don't want work with farms that farm animals okay okay um so you're at your your people can find you at co-op culture yeah co-op culture so our uh, our email uh, our sorry our website address is culture.coop culture.coop yeah and i just like so, i just like to say I, I wasn't recording this before so i just want to repeat this yeah uh, mark gave us mark gave us some free advice which saved us hundreds of pounds and we're now we're now a cooperative yeah. Yeah. um so why why cooperatives why why is the cooperative nature of a business why is that important to you um it's yeah it's it's where i came from really so when i left university i went to work for a workers cooperative in uh, nottingham as a as a chef and did that for quite a few years before i, I left and went into education um i i tend not to really proselytize so much about co-ops it's more more for me about what groups of people coming together to do something to to work for social change um and they almost invariably set up a co-op so it was almost like it's the default setting so i i don't really feel the need to you know to go around banging the drum and saying start a co-op it's more like what's what's the problem we're trying to solve 
let's let's look at how we want to organize around this and people automatically set up co-ops i find mm. what what successes have you had um so oh god we, we, well there's not just me in, in our co-op co-op culture uh, there's four of us uh, one based in southampton uh, two in the lake district and me in west yorkshire um so well we would probably point to the um the large number of um successful co-ops that we've helped set up over the years and also um other cooperatives that we've uh, we've worked with uh in you know we often go we do governance reviews or sort of finance overhauls and things like that so we've worked with um you know the big worker co-ops like uh, sumer and unicorn um we've um yeah, basically just a big long list of, and if, if you want to see them, you can go to our website of the, of the co-ops that we've worked with. Um, and is it mainly the, co the cooperative structure that you help them with, or do you help them with other, thing, other things as well? No, it's a, it's a whole mixture of stuff, really. Um, so, yeah, typically we'll, be, we'll help them decide on what their appropriate legal form and organisational type should be and help them establish that. Um, we'll help them write business plans, We'll help them uh, get startup finance, either as loans or, or even as shares. So we do quite a bit of work around community share offers, the sort of the growing use of withdrawable share capital in the um, society model that's available to us in the UK, which allows you to go to out to communities and get them to invest in what you're doing. So it's been used a lot for community energy, um, community-owned pubs. So we work with a few pubs, a few energy programs uh and even to buy land as well so we uh, we helped whistlewood common a uh, a permaculture project down in uh, derbyshire to uh, buy their land and then and then do another share offer to um, build a roundhouse on the land as well to do their educational activities in it's up in derbyshire by the way say again it's up in derbyshire it's, oh, right. down, it's, it's, it's down for you a little downhill for me yeah but um yeah, and we, so that sort of finance side of it, we do quite a lot of. Uh, we'll often go in and do um, governance reviews as well. So sort of governance health checks. So that might be that we, um, you know, they need to change their rules, uh, revamp their policies or their internal structure. Um, and uh, yeah, so we do quite a bit of that, quite enjoyable, that sort of work. Quite interested in the sort of emerging use of things like uh, sociocracy within particularly within worker cooperatives sociocracy within worker co-ops that's a, a decision making process isn't it it's uh, uh well it's a it's a way of organizing your internal um uh, systems uh so yeah there is a it does involve a lot of decision making as well but it's uh um it's sort of uh, distributed governance is, is another uh term that's used for it so trying to break down the the hierarchies and the blockages within uh, within decision making so it's certainly it's not a uh, it's not a system that's limited to co-ops but there's a lot of interest in them within cooperatives at the moment so my my particular interest is is on the governance side so i also sit on the uh, uk governance expert reference panel that's convened by cooperatives uk and uh, and chair the governance committee of cooperatives uk as well doesn't there need to be some, I mean, I suppose this is a question of scale, but doesn't there need to be some sort of hierarchy in terms of knowledge um, 
Do you know what I mean? It's, it's... Well, they don't need to be. There often is a de facto hierarchy. Um, but that, that's not a problem. It's, it's, um, it's acknowledging that, really, and, and finding ways that, that groups of people working together can support each other in their work and also be, and take um, effective decisions quickly. Um, and uh, so one of the principles around the, um, the, the sociocratic way of working would be um, that you've got that agility because there is a, you know, you basically, you try things out. It's, um, it's an experimental thing. So it's rather than you've got to create something perfect at each stage, you'll just find something that's good enough to try and you'll try it and then you'll evaluate. So you, you're able to move quite fast. Is that similar to Lumio? Have you tried Lumio? Well, Lumio we use quite a lot uh, in the various groups I work with. So that I um, chair the um, Cooperative Development Forum, which has a Lumio group. So that, that's open to anyone who's interested in cooperative development is able to join that Lumio. Uh, yeah, so exactly that sort of thing. And, and the people behind Lumio, uh, um, although they don't... Uh, they don't brand it as sociocracy are very much around those, those decentralized way of organizing. Yeah, it's not a very similar idea. Yeah. Um, what are the biggest obstacles that you face? Um, in trying to, you know, grow the cooperative economy. It's finding ways to fund, um, co-op development. So finding ways to get paid. Um, yeah, we're, we're quite lucky in that we, um, you know, we do cooperative development because we enjoy it, and we can f and we can make enough money to live on. It's certainly not a, a you know a career if you if you want to make money. Mm. Um, the other obstacle is probably the market making side of it. So because we're doing the the hands on support for people, we've got very little time to do that. You know, going out and um, basically finding the new co ops. Uh, we're able to do a little bit of that. So next week, um, I'm part of a, a meeting being organised by Cooperatives UK for cycle couriers. So looking at setting up worker co-ops amongst uh, like Deliveroo and Uber riders. Right, okay, to sort of take yeah. them on from the... So that, that sort of thing, um, it, that's almost impossible to get funding for at the moment. So we basically have to do that off our own bat. So we'll probably on the back of that then be going and... Uh, meeting um, couriers in the major cities around the country. We'll have to fund that ourselves. Oh, that would be such a fantastic thing, though. Mm, yeah, yeah. But, but that, because you... you know, that's what we want to happen. So long as we can eat and, and pay our bills, yeah. that's all we really need. Yeah. But how would you, how would you compete with, with um, Uber delivery riders and, um, and Deliveroo? How do you get, you know, how do you start to eat away at their, at their market share? Well, couriers already run several apps on their phones anyway. Um, so you'd just be creating another another income stream in parallel um, that would probably be dealing with um, people who wouldn't deal with Deliveroo and, and Uber anyway, either because they're, they're too small or they have um, ethical objections to them. Um, so, so you might imagine that, um, that a courier cart within a city um, could actually build up trade within uh, the smaller people, uh, you know, veg box delivery and things like that. Um, what what could individuals listening to this? What could they do to help? Uh, to help with cooperative development. Yeah, 
Um, if they're interested in co-ops and they, they think they, they would like there to be more co-ops and... Start one. Start one, yeah? Yeah. So either, uh, yeah. So can you, can you, re can you uh, re-engineer your livelihood so you're actually working as part of a co-op rather than, um, you know, working for somebody else so you can actually uh, capture the value that you create uh, and, you know... Um, that's probably difficult for a lot of people, uh, but it, certainly if you're self-employed, it, um, we're setting up lots of co-ops of self-employed people who come together and um, you know, it'll almost, you create a market vehicle for yourself. You're able to share work and combine uh, on bits of work, etc. Et um, so, so, so if people listening to this think they might want to do that but wouldn't have the clue where to start, could they contact you? Uh, yeah, yeah, they can contact me, uh, at mark at culture.coop. There's also uh, lots of resources on uh, the Hive website. So the Hive is a program run by Cooperatives UK that we, we deliver some support through, uh, which is there to help people start and grow cooperatives, funded by the Cooperative Bank. and But also they have some sort of startup resources there as, as, as well. Um, the... It will depend on, on what you want to start a co-op in as well. So there will be some sector-specific stuff. So, for instance, if your, if your local pub was up for sale and you're thinking, oh, we could buy and run that as a community, which uh, I think there's over 100 communities, at, you know, either done it or actively working towards it at the moment. There's actually a, um, a website specifically around setting up co-op pubs. So depending on what you want to do, it would be depend where you want to go. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fielding calls all the time from people who've, who've got it. You know, they've had a mad idea in the pub, written it on the back of the beer mat and then found me and phoned me up. All right. So you're quite happy to, to, to receive those calls. And, yeah, um, and, and there's, there's probably about, uh, about 40 people like me around the country. Um, and so, and so we all know each other as well. So if someone phones me up from Bristol, then I know someone who's, um, yeah, who works in Bristol, so I'll put them in touch with that. So we, it, we're, we're very cooperative and, and share work around. So you're an informal network of co-op development workers? Uh, yeah, well, we are actually a formal network as well. So there is a, there is a cooperative development forum that's uh, Co-ops UK um, that provides the secretariat for as well. Really? So any Co-ops UK member who's interested in cooperative development can join that. And I was reading a bit about um, a project you're involved, involved with, Platform 6. Can you tell us yeah, about so Platform about that? 6 is a, is a relatively new uh, project. So it is actually a co-op. We've, we've created it. We're just about to launch uh, it, open it up for membership so anyone can join it. Um, it was inspired by a, a worker co-op um, solidarity fund, um, which was basically just a way that people who wanted to support worker cooperatives um, could put a tiny bit of money in every month. Is that uh, the, solid, the solid fund? Solid fund, yes. Yeah. So the solid fund, so I'm a member of the solid fund. I put in a pound a week uh, and they've accumulated, I think they're getting up towards sort of 80, 90 grand at the moment. Good Lord. Um, and you can put proposals into the solid fund. So I'm likely going to put one in to try and fund my travel for going around and meeting these couriers um they have funded some work that we did around what we're calling barefoot cooperative development which was about taking people out of their worker co-ops and using them to support other co-ops 
So we ran a couple of workshops uh, around that about uh, about oh, seven eight months ago, and um, so it's nice. It's a nice, simple, and easy thing, but it is only worker cooperatives. So we were thinking, let's create something similar, which is open to all cooperatives, uh, both to contribute to and to uh, apply for funding for as well. And and we've got a few more ambitions around that that we'd actually use it as a as a way for like you mentioned earlier on you know if someone's got an idea for a co-op platform six we hope will be the place where you go in and say hello I've, I've got this idea what do people think or does anyone know anyone who's done something similar and yeah. you've got that uh, online community of practice that will pitch in and say all right you should speak to these people or you know here's me here's me email drop me a line and, and uh, let's chat so hopefully it'll become one of the go-to places. We've just had our first, even though we haven't launched ourselves properly, we've just had our first uh, application for funding in which we're considering on Monday, which is to fund uh, some um, free places on some work co-op workshops that Stir to Action are doing down in London. Okay. Um, so we're, we're interested in co-ops as a way to reduce market share for multinational corporations and banks. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something that's important to you? It is and it isn't. So the reason I'm involved with co-ops is not because I want to slowly turn the oil tank around. Uh, it's because I, I think we've got really hard times coming. Um, and the co-ops are basically the people that are either going to uh, have to start and grow very quickly at that time of crisis because the other players will be disappearing. So you can imagine that, you know, the major supermarkets, as soon as they're, they don't make money anymore, they will cease to do what they're doing. So I see them as what, rather than stealing market share, I see them as lifeboats. And in some cases, yeah, like working in the food food system is so broken now that it, it's really really difficult to have a um, a sustainable profitable business where you're actually doing things right you know providing healthy healthy food um, and hopefully paying decent wages to the to the people involved in the supply of it really really difficult um, it's almost like if you imagine it, it's it's quite in, it takes a lot of resources to maintain a lifeboat um, but one day it's going to be really important and it's a bit like that with co-ops at the moment in some sectors it's hard to run in that sector as a co-op because because you know everything else is it's just externalizing all of its costs uh, mostly onto the planet um, that but the but it's important for us to have the co-ops there or even just the examples there so they're ready to go when we really need them so talking about the um, yeah, the, the next financial crash or whatever, or whatever it looked like. Um, someone asked me the other day, um, you think it's a big opportunity for co-ops? Uh, and I said, yes, but it's a bit like um, the Blitz was a big opportunity for firefighters. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, it, it basically, the only way we'll get through this is by cooperating. So, so let me get this straight. So you're not so interested in, um, um, you know, slowly building a sector to replace capitalism. You're more in you. You 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 look at it as though 
capitalism is inevitably going to fall over. So let's get something in place to sort of catch people when it yeah. does. And there's no reason why you can't have a twin approach around that. So actually setting them up, you know, and if we can encroach on the market share. Um, but in some ways, we, one way that, of increasing the market share is by, will be that crash because so much of the anti-social economy needs to fall away and cease to operate. So much of, much of the economy is actually damaging to, to people and, and, uh, and the planet. So it needs to stop. Yeah. So it's not so much that we need to get into that space. We need to do yeah. what we're doing and they need to stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is scale of co-ops, is that an issue? Is there a, is there a maximum scale, do you think, for, um, to keep the cooperative values? I think so. And I think it's, um, I think it's around the, the number of people that can effectively work together. Um, and I think it's important to have... Uh, a link with community as well so by the time you're nationwide unless you're a co-op with around a, a particular weird thing that only a few hundred people in the UK um, are involved with then you know that's fine you can be you can be national but as I think um, co-ops are better smaller and I think if they do need to grow the way that they should grow is almost like a strawberry patch model so um, rather than become a bigger and bigger and bigger co-op, uh, actually just split into two co-ops um, and uh, have an overarching secondary co-op above it. So where you get the, you can get the economies of scale. So it's a bit like in the early days of um, what is now the co-op group, where you had, um, you know, each town had its own cooperative society. Like here in Hebden Bridge, we, um, within a few miles of here, we had... I think four different cooperative societies, uh, but they had the overarching cooperative wholesale society, which was able to uh, purchase for all of those member co-ops uh, and also had a role in cooperative development, setting up new ones as well. And I think, and what happened over the years, gradually those societies have all merged together. So we've, uh, so we've got less than 20 um, cooperative retail societies uh, of that heritage now. Um, and they lose that local connection, really. So I'm a member of the co-op, but, but you know there are millions of other people as well, and, and it's a it's a nationwide affair. I don't have that um, that that direct connection, which would have if I was a member of the Hebden Bridge Cooperative Society. Yeah, I really like the strawberry patch metaphor. That's you yeah. can just see a really nice uh, co-op worker co-op in um, I think it's in San Francisco called Arismendi. They're um, a bakery co-op but but baked in to their model is that they will create more bakeries so actually they use some of their profits to fund the development of the next bakery as well mm. so the um you know i'll talk to people in community energy and 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 just as an example um if the if the if the people in the local towns or the local villages want to um distribute the the energy generated to the their local members mm -hmm. they have to have a, um, a the same license as an energy producer as as eon would have to buy so yeah. it was very very expensive mm. so their only option is to sell their electricity to the national grid for 4p a unit and then for the members to buy it back locally at you know 16 17p a unit yes. which yeah. is just <laughs> a massive scam and just really damaging to the you know the small 
community energy schemes. And other people, you know, when I speak to other people in different parts of the sort of cooperative, solidarity, whatever you want to call it, I'll come back to this um, mm. economy. Um, they don't know about this. They, they, and, and then I talk to people, you know, the, the ecological land co-op, their, their biggest obstacle is the planning system. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they want the planning system to help them do what they do because it's helping to get the, the land back into the hands of ordinary people and to help produce, mm. you know, really good food ecologically and for local markets, which and who doesn't want that? Mm. And yet there are so many barriers in their way, mainly, mainly to do with the planning system. Yeah. And so I just... I'm, I'm very interested in looking at ways that we could, you know, coordinate our efforts. Um, and do you, do you think that would be a good thing? And, and how might we start to do it? So, um, yeah, I'm particularly interested in the coordination around the solidarity economy. So taking it wider than co-ops, because not every healthy local economy will be hundred percent co-ops. Um, and, I went to uh, the control shift event. Did you hear about that? That was uh, yeah. yeah. I, was on, I was on. I was on the steering group for a while, but I dropped out of it. It was yeah. it was too broad a church for me. Yeah, and I think I found that. Yeah, we basically spent several days getting to know who was in the room, really, without actually making huge amounts of progress. They are going to run it again, and I will go again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was. It was yeah. It was too, it was too wide really to to actually focus on anything. Um, I found it quite useful as as a showcase for some of the stuff that we were involved with because like people didn't know about it. So I think if if all it is is a, is an annual sort of stirring of the pot, I think that'd be fine. I think I think we were all expecting too much from it really. Um, the yeah I. I I think the thing we really need, it's a bit like happened with the um, sort of community pubs and shops, really. Uh, you just need stories to tell because, and you get, you'll then get that critical mass of stuff happening. Like what happened with the, with the, uh, the cooperative retail societies in the 19th century. It was all word of mouth. Like people said, Oh, you know, such an, they've done this in this town we can do that. Luckily, the postal system had just been invented, so they were able to then share that information. So it was probably, probably it was the it was the penny black which was responsible for the initial growth of the cooperative movement, as well as a as a, a middle class with a with a little bit of money that we were able to put in. Yeah, railway workers and things were quite instrumental in yeah. early retail societies. Um, so. Yeah, what was it? I've forgotten what the question was now. You're talking about coordination of the movement, really. If there mm. is a movement, um, well, there's a cooperative movement, but there could be, as you said, there could be a bigger movement. I mean, I don't know whether it's called the solidarity movement or the non-corporate movement or the new economy movement or the cooperative movement. I'm, 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 mutualism is a, is, a, is a term that I'm really interested in. It's sort of based on the labor theory of value and... You know, and anything that doesn't extract m wealth from the people who actually make it and give mm. it to people who, who, who do nothing really except extract. Um, anything that anything that doesn't do that for me is part of a mutualist mutualist economy, and that could be co-ops, that could be it could be partnerships, or it could be trusts, or it could be self-employed people. Mm. Uh, you know, self a self-employed person is in effect. A cooperative of one you know, they, 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 it's well unless they form a co-op of self-employed people 
yeah. which, is, which is one of the big growth areas. And then they formerly a corp, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, I quite like my role in the, the way I get to do stuff is I'm almost like a pollinator. So I get to sort of buzz around and I see all these different things going on and people basically paddling canoes in the same direction. And, and some people in, in, you know, in the permaculture movement might know about the solidarity economy movement and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but I think we're all so busy doing stuff that that coordination is quite difficult, difficult. And maybe yeah. we'll only really sort of galvanize and start working together properly. Um, once, once it does get, you know, really important where there is, you know, we're basically, we're having to cooperate to meet our basic needs as, as um, institutions and organizations fall away as, as capitalism disintegrates, basically. So you see crisis as a, as a bit of a stimulus for real change? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's got to happen, really. The, the, um, the, our economy, it's impossible for it to carry on. Hmm. And, uh, why, why do you say that? Well, it's, uh, it's energetically impossible for a start. So, uh, you know, once, so we've burnt through nearly half of, of uh, fossil fuel reserves or possibly have burnt through half. But that second half is the really, really hard to get stuff. So the actual the energy return on things like fracking and uh, unconventional oil and things like that uh, are so low that actually we're going to have a real energy crisis. I mean, some of the um, predictions I've seen would be um, so that the energy available to us would be at 19th century levels to us, you know, within 10, 20 years. And, um, um, and we really don't want to burn it in terms of, you know, in terms of ecology, we really don't want to burn it. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm fairly sure that we're going to get quite serious climate change. Yeah. Uh, even it does look in my lifetime. Um, it's, yeah, I'm a bit, you know, sometimes I just think, actually, why am I bothering? <laughs> yeah, um, but you've got to keep swimming, really, haven't you? Yeah, what else would you do? Yeah, exactly. Um, so what about nuclear, then? Why, why won't nuclear um, take over from, from, fossil, from fossil fuels? Well, nuclear is quite carbon intensive. Um, so you need a, a lot of fossil fuels to process um, nuclear stuff. So it's only, I think it's got about an energy return on energy investment of 10 to 1, which is quite low. Uh, wind power is up near 20 to 1. Uh, solar PV at the moment is about 7 to 1. But, uh, I mean, in the early days of oil, you were looking at 100 to 1. So to get 100 barrels of oil, you have to burn one barrel. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's getting down into um that 15 now so that that's that's why the thing is unsustainable because uh, basically we're going to run out of power so we're going to we need an, we're gonna need an economy that's sort of using about 10 percent of the energy that it currently uses and that's a very very different world it's going to also horizons are really going to contract so i think that will be another thing driving cooperatives so Basically, you, you will be existing within your bioregion and, yeah. and needing to cooperate within, within that. Yeah. So how do we speed things up? How do we really, you know? Well, there's, a, there's an opportunity um, around the possibility of a Labour government. So that might, so they're, they're, they're promising to double the size of the cooperative economy. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. 
So not sure what that means yet. Does that mean double the number of co-ops or they're presumably thinking in double, double the contribution to GDP? Um, so they've got some interesting ideas around um, some sort of changing the legal uh, stuff, uh, legal framework that's available to co-ops, bit of stuff around finance. Particularly, they're talking about a national cooperative development agency. So quite interested to see what that looks like. Um, so yeah, the, the, probably the biggest barrier at the moment is actually getting the cooperative movement to work together to engage with this sort of stuff. Um, there are moves afoot and things are getting better. People are talking to each other. Um, yeah, I think we're going to see some significant movement in 2019 around the, the UK cooperative movement coming together around cooperative development rather than, you know, it's been quite inward focusing and, you know, with most of the cooperative world just basically concentrating on running their own co-op. Let's hope so. Um, so um, I mentioned something earlier. That, so, so there's a group of us, um, including Open.coop, Oliver Sylvester Bradley, and um, Matthew Slater, the, the collect, Credit Commons Collective, and Thomas Greco, who wrote um, these two books, actually. Um, he's, a, he's an author. He writes about money. Oh, yeah. This, this one particularly, The End of Money and the Future of Civilization, uh, is a, just a fantastic read. It really opened my eyes. And now he's on board with us and he's coming over from the States soon. Great. Uh, and we want to build a national UK uh, mutual credit network. Mm. Um, we, we were really inspired by a group called Sardex and they're on the island of Sardinia. Yeah. Um, do you know them? Uh, Graham has been uh, talking to me about them, but I haven't been and looked at it yet. So last year they did the equivalent of of of, of, of eighty one million euros of trade mm. with no money changing hands at all. Yeah, just on the just on the island of Sardinia, which has a population of the you know Birmingham. Yeah. So there's huge scope for things um, in the UK, and we're talking to Sardex, uh, and they're talking to a group called Credex in Birmingham, which sort of developed from the Birmingham pound. Uh, and they're talking to Sardex and we're going to talk to Sardex as well. And we're going to try and take, take this national to, um, the thing with mutual credit, you need trading loops. If you, you get credits for doing things, then you need to spend those credits somewhere. And there needs to be a loop of traders. It's not Barty. You don't have to find somebody who's got what you want and wants what you've got. It could be anybody in the network, but it needs to be a loop. Yeah. You need to close the loops. Otherwise, otherwise it doesn't work. So that's, that's going to be our big task. Yeah. To get, we, we're getting expressions of interest at the moment, so we need to find out what people are offering and what they want, and match people up in a in a in a in in, in as many loops as we can, yeah. and then we can start inviting more people in. Yeah, um, like that. and particularly the um, uh, the growth of platform carts as well. That's that's going to be yeah. quite an interesting, quite a disruptive influence. Um, yeah. Uh, but also has big potential for capitalism to reinvent itself and, uh, you know, and yeah. go, go around the track one more time. Even worse than it was the first time round. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm talking to Duncan McCann at Neff next week about that, mm. about platform cops in particular. Um, but I was thinking that you might be able to help us sort of spread the word amongst your networks, mm -hmm. uh, you know, co-op development workers, couriers would be an ideal sort of, um, Actually, we, actually, if we if we could get a national courier with you know with vans to really you know actually move real things around the country, that would be a that would be a bit of a coup as well. Yeah, 
So there would be nothing to stop. So if we do manage to set up these city-based um, courier networks, there would be nothing stopping them forming a secondary co-op to, to link up. But we'll definitely keep you in the loop because, yeah, and it would be great to get, um, to, to get your next networks interested. Um, uh, yeah, if, if you are, if you're in, I mean, you can join the Corruptive Development Lumia if you want and, you know, basically feed directly into these conversations. Okay, that was a really good idea. Okay, well, I'll, I, the way it works is uh, we, we say, I go, well, anyone can go on there and say, uh, I think such and such should be a member of this forum. And if no one objects within a week, then you automatically get added. Okay. So, so we've got most of the movers and shakers in. I've never, I've never used Lumia. Is it, a, is it a steep learning curve? Not really. It's um, there's still a few bells and whistles that I haven't. I, I keep noticing new functionality that I haven't used. Um, but it's no. If you can use something like Instant Messenger or WhatsApp or Facebook, then you'll easily be able to use Lumio. Um, here's a question for you. So, we've seen over the years various new companies that people got behind. You know, right on people got behind and thought, oh, they're doing some good things. Mm -hmm. Uh, people like Ben and Jerry's and the Body Shop and Green and Blacks and and you know you know the kind of business and and, and they're all owned by the corporate sector now. You know Ben and Jerry's got bought by Unilever and mm. Body Shop got bought by L'Oreal and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, companies like Fairphone and Ecotricity they're great, but they might go the same way. They, do you know is there a reason that they haven't set up as a with a, with a cooperative structure so that they, they they can't be sort of preyed upon by the corporate sector well generally it's the it's the it's the exit for the owners really isn't it it's the way that they get out and either uh collect all their sweat equity or uh, or basically need need you know quite often these where you get these uh these entrepreneurial types who set something up because it's their passion and it turns into a huge great big success uh and then they get bored of it or they want to retire um, it's getting their money out, really, and, and that's the reason for it. And the, and the, the way to avoid it, really, unless you're going to have um, someone who's quite philanthropic, who does the, um, like, you know, the John Lewis type thing, where you basically hand over the enterprise to the workers, which is similar to uh, what um, um, Guy Watson is doing with uh, Riverford at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He is actually, you know, he's actually getting money out of this for handing over the over the company as well. Yeah, isn't um, isn't, there, isn't there a way that co-op co co can remunerate a, a founder for the for their sweat equity? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that you could even create something where they have shares in it. The original owners still got shares within it. Um, you, um, there have been, I mean, with uh, employee ownership trust, they they set up a trust which basically that gradually pays off over a period of time. Um, but to avoid that in the first place is um, basically set up as a co-op from the start. So you bake in that, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. locking of the assets for the community, really. So there is, there's never any incentive to, uh, to sell out because it's not... Oh, you, you, you're going a bit, uh, bit Dalek-y. You know, all right. How am I now? Oh, yeah, you're back. I don't know what you did, but you're back. So, yeah, so the thing with a co-op is um, there's never really that incentive to sell out. You, you know, you don't need to get out of the game. Whereas, um, you know, particularly in things like the, the tech sector, where you've got these uh, angel investors and venture capitalists 
who basically put huge amounts of money into uh, tech ideas, most of which fail. Uh, so they're burning all this money. They just need one of them to be the next Facebook or whatever, but then they'll just sell it off to get their money back out. And then it's, you know, it's then a normal corporate structure that's vulnerable to, you know, the, the vagaries of the, of the market and, you know, and being captured and sold off. Just a, a final left field question. If you, if you had a minute on global TV at peak time, what would you say? Oh God. Um, <laughs> Sorry for the curveball, but you know, just what's the crucial, what's the crucial message? I would probably do a quick talk about that energy thing, because that is like, that's the massive elephant in the room uh, that nobody talks about. The fact that, you know, that even with, even with renewables, we're not going to be able to run the world anything like we run it now and mm. that there's a, there's a very different world coming yeah and we need to prepare for it because the longer we don't prepare for it the harder that um crash is going to be uh, and yeah and the, and the massive danger in that, that that's that's coming up in that crisis the 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 opportunity for fascism it so that is that's the really really scary thing for me yeah. 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 we don't get this together then basically uh, a small number of people, you know, with with interest, you know, trying to preserve the current system or or basically capture what's left of the value within it uh, are just going to make the the uh, the rest of us our lives uh, complete. Yeah. Strong men are going to move in, mm, yeah. and that's yeah, that's not a very good uh, prospect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so this 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 meeting in the spring would really love you yeah. to come along. So we, we've got um, column columnists coming along. Actually, it's looking a bit like a boys' club. Yeah, um, yeah. It's in trouble with a lot of things I'm involved with now. A, a beardy boys' club in a like beardy that. boys' club. Yeah, and um, so um, column said that he 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 preferred if 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 um, Clara or Cat came along from the Solidarity Economy Association would be good. But Marisa Bassano from the, uh, the Community supported agriculture network. Um, I'll try and get uh, Kath Muller along, yeah. um, and you know, try and try and get as many women women as we can. Well, yeah. But there's also Ollie Rodka from the Ecological Land Co-op and John Halley, Share Energy, yeah. and Oliver Sylvester Bradley, um, and Matthew Slater. So so we can talk to people there about uh, the, the the mutual credit idea and how that might be how that might help in to develop the. Um, I still don't know whether to call it the solidarity economy or the mutualist economy or the the new economy. Maybe new economy is the easiest because it it just covers all bases, really. Yeah, new economy. I like solidarity economy. Um, I like it, but I was talking to Colm and and it's difficult to define. Um, and he was saying that there there are values tied up with it. There have to be sort of values in it. Mm. I said, well, what about what about a a, a car mechanics co-op? What you know that cars aren't environmentally friendly and yet it's better to get your car fixed if you've got one and mm -hmm. to call you know than a than a corporate you know quick fit or whatever they're called yeah. um but it's a, yeah it's a really difficult one. what values what values exactly um what about a what about a self-employed plumber and I've, i just i just couldn't get my head around it it's um for me if if you're if you're not corporate, if you're not extractive, if, if, if anybody goes to you and gives you money for your business, 
if it's not then going to be sucked out of your community to pay shareholders or corporate HQ mm. or international distribution network or advertising, then fine. That's great. It's, it's, I don't have a problem with self-employment. Yeah, I think we can be inclusive rather than exclusive. So yeah, yeah. I'm involved in a local solidarity economy project called um, Calderdale Bootstrap. And we basically say, this is, this is what, we're, what we're working towards. If you identify with that, then right. we will support you. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I dare say there would come the time when there would be people who, who were trying to talk to us that, that, that we would say no. So, so we haven't got a date yet, but I'd really like to get you down in the spring if that's, if that's good for you. Yeah, and, that, uh, that's Birmingham, is it? London. London. All oh, right. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. And if you know people to stay with in London, that's great. And if, if you don't, I'm, I'm sure I'll have to, have to talk to the missus, but I'm sure you could stay here. All oh, right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I can sort something out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we, I do, I do a fair bit of work in London. Um, work with um, uh, probably organically would be the, the most recent. Oh, yeah. 